Right, you joined me on a Flix bus travelling back from Graz to Vienna, uh, continuing the theme of this podcast of me doing it in deeply inappropriate places with likely unusable audio. The background noise is considerable on the basis that this is the last Flix bus of the day, and I presume the driver cannot wait to get home. So we are doing uh, German Autobahn speeds on a double-decker bus. Um, but this isn't like a like a British double-decker bus like you find in London. This is like a big old chunky boy. Two proper decks with loads of seating. Anyway, um, this is the cheapest way to get back from Graz to Vienna. And as is my ticket sales, uh, little production budget to go any more luxurious. Uh, <laughs> some added context. Uh, Jack, my friend and the producer of this show is sat behind me and listening very carefully to check that I don't um, take the piss out of his um, shows so I'm just going to reassure him now I've, on I've only got good things to say about them although I will give these two reflections I did a show yesterday in Linz, there we go and, um, and a show, you're not on the podcast I haven't got on the mic um, and then I did a show today in Graz Linz looked like it was going to be dog shit in the sense that sales were lowish before we got to the venue and then still fairly low when we got to the venue and both of us had a, a fairly bad feeling about it and it turned out that the 12 people that turned up could not have been a better audience they were so up for it and they every single one of them was genuinely appreciative that the show happened and gave so much energy and one of Jack's colleagues who was booked uh, him who books a theater gig elsewhere that Jack has done came to watch the show and just had glowing things to say so this is one of these things where like I, I absolutely couldn't have made the decision to not bother turned up saw that the venue loads of things weren't quite ideal about the fact that we didn't really have the right number of people um, and as the audience walked in I just kind of turned on the charm and just did what I had to do to make them to persuade them that it wasn't gonna be a bad show and it wasn't and tonight in Graz quite the contrary it was a venue that Jack's worked in loads before. The sound and lights were absolutely on point. The venue was stunning. Bar staff were great. Uh, enough people to fill the room. And as they were walking in, I said to Jack, promoter, opener of the show, man, this is good. They're all like young and up for it. And they look great. And they were buying drinks. And the you know playlist before the show was pumping. And they were tapping their feet for it. And just all the... All the signs were there for an absolutely banger of a show. So, of course, I set up all my cameras and Jack uh, sets up, like, two boom mics to record the audio for the inevitable, for the inevitably perfect crowd work. And, uh, you know, <laughs> like I, really, I really make an effort to make sure I, you know, look good, make sure that, my, you know, um, my, my outfit looks good and I've got my merch ready to sell because I'm sure to sell it out. And... I mean, the this, this show definitely wasn't bad, but, like, it absolutely wasn't what I was expecting it to be, uh, which was untold glory and success. So I, I don't know if there's any learning from this because this is just, this is what happens. Uh, but I definitely have... Well, I guess one thing is if you are absolutely sure that you want the show to not go perfectly, spend a lot of effort setting up cameras because I don't think I've ever set up all my cameras for a show that has gone well. And I've had multiple shows where I've set up no cameras at all and I've had one of the funniest interactions I've ever had so um, alright so that's, the, that's that's one learning um, the second is uh, I do see comedy as a very long game and I did a show in Vienna on Sunday which could have gone better by a number of different accounts and I it, I, like I, I was so unbothered by it 
I, I really did think that, you know, it's not like it's the last time I'm ever going to come here. I see the European market is growing. I see the amount of audience uh, that, that p potentially I can play to as growing, as Eng English becomes even more widely spoken and more people join friendship groups with lots of different people from all around the world and they have English as a lingua franca and they don't, when they want to, they want to know what to do of an evening and they come and watch comedy. Um, and I've been extremely inspired by conversations I've had with comics such as J.F. Harris, who's an American comic that spends quite a bit of time in Paris because he likes it there. And uh, Thomas Henry, who's a British act, uh, does some promotion as well. And he tours around Europe with an Indian act called Ram, who's based in Amsterdam. And they had a meal with Victor, who's a another act that's basically taken over the European scene. And, you know, basic back-of-the-envelope mathematics is you can turn over... 200,000 euros fairly easy well not fairly easily you've got to be good at comedy and you've got to know how to promote but you know these these cities that we're going to Jack referred to them as B or C tier cities you know you're, we're not going to the capital cities we're going where there isn't any other English language comedy so if there is an English language comedy fan uh, you've got a very good chance of sending them a ticket and further these are people who you can build a real relationship with and I really do make a point of after the show chatting to them and you know, ideally giving them my phone to, to scan my Instagram so they can follow me straight away. And, you know, I, I do, I kind of see that as the very top of the funnel. And I'm, you know, this, this trip to, uh, to Austria, never been to Austria before, had extremely, you know, I heard good things about the, about the shows here because I've known Jack for a very long time. Um, and I've been chatting to Gus who promoted my show in Vienna. Uh, for a while that show happened because Gus has the same surname as me Horn so as soon as he found me online <laughs> he sent me a message saying we need to do a show called Horn and Hornier and I was absolutely up for that um, anyway you know, I'm I'm on a three hour bus back from a gig playing to I think we had 50 people in but all those 50 people did buy tickets of at least I think 15 euros each so you know there is money um, you know I'm, I'm not leaving empty handed I'm leaving having made a bit of money um, and the venue treated me so well. Drinks on the house, fantastic meal after. Um, you know, this is this is <laughs> this is really great. And to think that all I need to do, if I if I want to continue touring, and I think I do want to continue touring, all I need to do is find two hundred cities, which is not really that many cities. Find two hundred cities a year, and play to a hundred people in each of those cities. And if you play to a hundred people in two hundred cities. Uh, you are basically making a better living than any any professional. Um, it, it's the, the math is very very. Also, if you only make ten euros, you know, let's say you're charging twenty euro tickets, um, and you, you know, you you a certain amount of money goes to the venue, that is two hundred thousand euros, and this is the figure which which was you know quoted that Victor could turn over. 100 people in 200 cities or let's flip the maths let's say it's not 100 people in 200 cities let's say it's 200 people in 100 cities that's maybe that's maybe even easier you know, once the marketing machine is there finding 100 people is hard finding the next 100 people might not be as hard so I'm very very I'm very very happy about what's happened I've I went via Paris which I've been to a number of times before and I managed to get 60 plus people in a room watching me do an hour and that show I did as a free show um, but basically everyone paid me at the end 
And I also did a Not My Audience, which was promoted by Mike in Progress. We, again, full house. They seem to make good money out of that. I'm very, I'm, a, I, I'm, I've got a very, very good feeling about about the scene as it goes. And I had some really inspiring chats with comics who, who, who do see, you know, who see Europe in the same way that an American act sees the American states. It's just your network. It's just where you work. And I am increasingly despondent about the state of the UK circuit. In fact, I was recording a podcast last week. Uh, and uh, one of the guests on the podcast said, Ollie, do you have a gig in the UK? And he said it in, a, in an almost dis- like disparaging way, as if, like, you know, why, why aren't you cutting your teeth on the UK circuit? The answer is, it is way better here. Like the, the, the money, even on a bad night like this, even on a bad night like this, I'm coming home with more money in my pocket than I would do if, I've, if I'm earning regular circuit fees in the UK circuit, which is, you know, open 100 to 150, MC 100 to 175, close 150 to 250 right plus i have the added advantage of being in vienna for goodness sake or being in graz these are beautiful towns so inspiring um and also you know i've got friends out here they they let me stay in their homes and that's just a more interesting way of doing things than than touring in hotels anyway to, to, to wrap this point up this last week i've had chats with a number of acts who see europe as one big market and i'm I I don't know when it's going to be but I would love to make a real go of the tour and this is a tour in the sense that I'm doing lots of gigs in a row right but it's not a tour in that it's not really one cohesive production I'm not doing the same show in every city you know tonight and last night I did a 50 to one 50 minute to one hour headline set but they haven't really come for an Edinburgh hour style show They've just come for English comedy with Ollie Horn. In Vienna, it was a 45-minute set, and the kind of the expectation with that was it was a little bit more crowd-worky. And then tomorrow I'll be in Amsterdam, and I think I'm doing 20. And then the day after, I'm going to be in wherever the on earth I'm going to be Utrecht or something. But the, you know, the point is, I'm doing this is a tour, and this is, I'm doing lots of gigs in a row. But it hasn't been kind of centrally coordinated. I've got different deals with all different promoters. In some cases, I'm being booked as an act. In some cases, I'm kind of being booked to do my show. And I think the the next logical step is to, to to tie all of these together, to to have one product, and I think the product might be comedy for toxic people, because <laughs> that that seemed to go seems to go very well. Jack's just coughing. I apologise. That's all right. Um, it's it's a, it's a running theme of this that I just I get interrupted by by sounds also. Actually, why why don't I break the norm? I'm currently talking about. Uh, the opportunity of touring in Europe. Yeah. So I'm I'm with Jack. Jack has lived in Vienna for 12 years. He's been a professional comic for at least some of that. He started off being in bands, uh, and then suffered the indignity of becoming a solo comic artist. In not that much time, because I always try and keep these to half an hour. To give you thoughts on the touring opportunity for a solo show in Europe and we're talking and I've already spoken about people like Victor who are doing this of his own steam what do you think the model is and how can a touring act benefit from this new network that's emerging in the next five years Jesus Christ that's intimidating Um, for the benefit of the listener I just took my trousers down (laughs) (laughs) no I think it's um, 
what I like about it and what I think there is to be benefited from it is that it's um, there's no middleman. So I don't necessarily have anything against the club system or like bookers. As you know, I am one to a small extent. But when you when you sort of go directly to the venue, book it yourself, sell your own tickets, do your own marketing, learn how to do that, buy a camera, learn how to film properly, then you're taking it completely into your hands. And it's on one hand, it's scarier in the long term because there's no industry support. And, you know, there's comedians that we both know. Um, we won't name any names, but there's comedians that we both know who have kind of got one foot in each of these ponds, both like the industry circuit in the UK and other places. Well, that is sort of me currently. And I don't see that as necessarily a bad thing. I don't, I mean, I, I, for me, you have your foot a lot more firmly in the industry thing and you like do, you do do bits of the DIY touring. But I think it's... um, Because I I always see the festivals as a bit DIY. At least my first few years of the festivals did feel like negotiating your own venue contracts, doing your own marketing. The only thing that happens is you benefit from the general infrastructure and marketing of a festival. Okay, that's fair. I haven't really done any festivals, so I don't have that experience. But no, I believe that. But anyway, getting to the point. um, So there's no... In the DIY circuit, there's no industry support. So like you're on your own. You're you're probably not going to get an agent. You're not going to get booked on TV. None of these cool things are going to happen. But... uh, it becomes very obvious very quickly that there is a, a very good chance of making a decent living, just living in anonymity. All right, so two, two questions. One, share some specific numbers. And secondly, talk about the product that you're selling to these, as you call them, tier B or tier C, tier C cities. What, what is the experience that these customers are having that might be different to a regular club night? And why do they keep coming back? And also, don't forget my first question. Give some specific numbers. All right, you want specific numbers? Um, you find a venue in Nuremberg. You can. Uh, I'm just saying Nuremberg because it's you know a B tier city. You easily sell fifty to sixty tickets. You're selling if you've got a good a good show, you can easily sell those for like fifteen euros. So what's fifteen times sixty? I don't think that math can be done without okay. a calculator. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, you sell. It's about this nine hundred euros. Nine hundred euros. So there you go. You sell nine hundred euros. You, at most, I say realistically, have to spend a hundred euros on marketing to sell that kind of number. If you know what you're doing. Okay, so let's be even more specific. You, where are these sixty people coming from? I see these sixty people as about fifteen groups of people, right? There's about there's about fifteen a couple of fours, a couple of pairs. What? Are, who are these people? How are they finding out? How do you get over the? Uh, the risk adversity okay so there's there's international communities all over Europe so you know you're not necessarily just looking for English Irish Australian or American people anyone from like you know China or Tanzania or something like that like likelihood is that they're going to be using primarily English when they get to Germany so they're looking for something in English as well. They're probably looking for something in Mandarin or in Tanzanian, but you're going to have a harder time finding that. But everyone, English is such a commonly spoken language, it's not hard to like find people who are, especially in a B or C tier city, gagging for entertainment that they can understand. So, so this is the thing which I've, I've definitely taken, I've taken learnings from people like Ram, which is that in a market like the UK, there is a total abundance of things to do. 
Whereas if you go to one of these smaller cities in the Netherlands, let's say you go to Leiden, yeah. there just isn't. And so the market is not saturated with things to do in English, let alone with comedy nights. So you're, you're never going to have any comedy competition and you're almost certainly never going to have some other pull from some other English language group activity. Yeah, I agree. That's like, you know, how many, you, you set up a show in London, how many shows are you competing at even on a Tuesday night? Dozens, surely. Yeah, but I, but I suppose the other way of looking at it is that market size is is bigger. But I suppose the point that you're saying is 60 people, to me, doesn't seem like a lot of people at all. That seems like, you know, in a university, that seems like a quarter of a lecture theatre. Basically, this is a tiny number of people from whom you can earn a proper living. Yeah, because you're cutting out the middleman. You're not... You have to learn how to do the work. So that's that's the thing a lot of comedians who come from industries struggle with is like everything is a hundred percent on you so if you've been a, like a really really good circuit comedian in the uk for like 10 15 years you're used to showing up doing your 20 to 45 minutes and getting a, your check at the end of it and the club is making exponentially more the booker is making exponentially more than you but when you take that away you like you control everything but you get a hundred percent of the the money so that that show in Nuremberg where you sold 60 tickets, it might have cost you 100 to advertise. Let's say it costs you 50, 150 euros for a hotel and travel. You know, well, you make, you're walking away with 650 euros on a Wednesday night. Sure. And I guess comedy, you're able to do this because you are able to, for example, I mean, you're technical, right? You know how to set up a sound system and you've got the confidence to do your own door. I mean, this, this way of doing comedy doesn't appeal to everyone because some people like the the benefit of having a green room where they don't see their audience before the show and you know they kind of scuttle off yeah i love that too i absolutely love not having to do my own tickets at the door i love having a green room where i can be invisible until i have to walk on stage but it's a trade-off and that's it's just what what's more important to you and because i'm somewhere where i can't play the long game in terms of the industry where i'm like oh well you know, I'm not making much money now, but one day I might be on not not the nine o'clock news if that's still on or whatever, um, and I'll make up the money then. That's never going to happen for me, so I have to make these sacrifices now and do stuff that I'm not necessarily comfortable or happy doing. But the money is an immediate reward, and you can only really do this if you've got an hour. Yeah, a hundred percent. It's not worth doing if you don't have an hour. Like this, the second you add. Second, you have two people on a tour. Everything is three times more expensive. It's not like it's it's fun. It's a good way to tour, but it's if you really want to make a living doing it, you need to be able to do it by yourself. So let's talk. Um, let's talk about the changing landscape then, because something I was just talking about is there is this new wave of comics, um, and, and it was all a bit similar, by the way, to, to how it, what I noticed in Southeast Asia in. 2014 2015 2016 that basically people were just setting up new markets this wasn't a case of entering existing markets it was like this is the first time comedy's ever been done in this city or even this country in some instances right so i see there's a handful of trailblazers who are doing some brilliant stuff there's loads of good stuff happening in eastern europe uh western europe is getting pardon me closer that's a yawn because it is argue well it is midnight um so that's totally reasonable what's next so so let's assume that in the next couple of years the trailblazers will have done their thing 
what's next for the touring indie comic? Christ, I don't know. Sorry, that's a really boring answer, but like, what exactly are you looking for? <coughs> well, not look, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, like, you know, as I said to you, I, I see this as like a five-year or ten-year game, right? What I hope is that that is a second year that's bad. I a strong believer in the rising tide theory that us going to the like going to a city where good quality comedy's already happened a few times makes it an easier not harder sell right so my i'm not looking for any particular answer from you but my thoughts on this are when someone like victor who can do it goes around and sets up a, a comedy show in a tier c town when i go or if i go it will be easier right yeah. and Generally speaking, you know, we should all... And by the way, I, I talk about Victor as if I know him. I, people presume I know him. I don't. But I've heard lots about him and I really respect his work. So that's that's that. Um, but I like... I see... I see two things. I see a social media following as helpful because, you know, you, you are likely to go back to the same city again and, and people, you know, if, it, if you're paying for advertising to get your initial audience by the third, fourth, fifth time if you've got even a small percentage of people coming back that is money that comes straight off your advertising budget right um, but yeah the way I see it is in five years time there are going to be lots and lots and lots of indie comedy club brands and venues which are used to, ho to hosting comedy and I believe that it's going to become easier for an indie also social media advertising tools are going to become better you know Eventbrite is incentivized to help us sell more tickets they're going to keep learning how to do it so my view is, this is an absolutely viable way to make a living now, but there's still loads of challenges. I do think it's going to get easier. And rather than playing to 100 people in 200 cities, potentially paying to 200 people in 100 cities is, is an even stronger value prop. Yeah, of course. Yeah, the, the rising tides uh, lifts all boats theory is definitely true. Because like, one thing, it's... I don't think we're competing against this as much now as we were five years ago. But remember when I first started doing the DIY tours five years ago, there was a real stigma about if these guys were real comedians, they wouldn't be in this town. Who, who was saying that? The audience? No, yeah, you would just see comments, like you'd be advertising your shows on Facebook and someone said, oh, don't go to this. Like, stay at home and watch a real comedian on Netflix. Like those were actual comments I would get. And how do you get over that? Is it that people now appreciate that th these people are good because you've gone a few times and you've proven yourself? Or have you started to do the odd bit of industry social proof and kind of used a bit of... Because, like, that's what I do, right? I have legacy industry stars and, you know, clips that are shot in nice-looking comedy clubs to get over that idea of this guy might be shit. I wish I had stuff like that. So again, that's the downside of uh, playing the game I've been playing is that you don't get those um, those legacy industry stars that you're talking about. I really wish I had some of those. You just have to make it look as good as you can, make it look as professional as you can, which is what I'm learning at, at the moment is like, okay, stop making your own posters on Canva, find some like a real graphic designer and pay the four or 500 euros to get a proper tour post. Okay, while I agree with that, and that is absolutely true, you know, I mean, I, well, I say I agree with that. I often do my own design because I'm quite good at it, but I have I know my limits. And if there's something I can't do, I will always play a designer. Um, but there is a risk that you go too far. Like, do you, st I mean, look, I, I 
used to be quite uh, wide-eyed about the industry. And I thought this idea of showing the journey and being honest, like a YouTuber might, was a good thing. Comedy, weirdly, stand-up comedy, weirdly, relies on a certain amount of confidence by the audience, right? And unlike, say, a musician that you might follow for a long time and you watch their progress and you watch their growth, I think that's less true for a comedian. People are far um, more risk-averse and they just want someone that is sure to make them laugh tonight rather than they're interesting in seeing how they are now and then maybe they're going to listen to their album in five years and go, oh my God, they moved on. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think I still think comedy, um, the idea that we're very, very vulnerable about, oh, we've had such low ticket sales, like I have been a little bit tonight on this podcast, but you know, but like, but this isn't for the, this isn't for my fans, right? This is, this is like a diary for me and the one or two comedians that listen to it. Um, I wouldn't post about this on social media. Um, I guess where I'm getting to this is, there is, there's still some charm in being authentic and vulnerable and honest, but I've learned, and maybe I've not that I've learned it. Maybe I've just been exposed to legacy industry more and more. There is a smoke and mirrors, and perception matters so much to both industry and also crucially audience. People want to go and see a successful comedian and give them a great time because they might only go to comedy once every twelve months, and if they go to something shit, it's a waste of their time. So, how do you strike that balance between yes, getting a nice professional poster done to satisfy that craving, but also you're not playing theatres, you are playing rooms underneath pubs, and for some people that is part of the charm. Take the mic in your hand. <laughs> I think in that case, like you, you can expose yourself and you can be honest to the audience that's in front of you. So, you know, our show in Lentz yesterday, there was 11 tickets. There's no smoke and mirrors there. I said 12. Oh, sorry. There were 12 <laughs> tickets. So there's, there, there's no smoke. And, well, there is smoke and mirrors if you're saying there's 12 tickets. But no, once they're in the room, there's no smoke and mirrors. You can't convince them that there's 90 other people in the room. If, if they no, no, there's only 10. So you can allow yourself to be emotional and vulnerable then. But I think, yeah, like you said, people, for whatever reason, the struggling musician is attractive because there isn't this urgency. Like laughter is such an involuntary reaction and it's so awkward when someone's trying to be funny and they're not getting it that you're right, people are scared. And if this is their only comedy show that they're going to go to every six months or a year, you're right, they don't want it to be shit. They don't want to take the risk. So... Yeah, I guess, like, whilst you're trying to get them, you do need to provide this idea that, like, you're a safe bet. That, like, you are, if there's five comedians in the next two months and they're only going to go to one show, you need to convince them that you are the safest act to go and see. And there's also something which is, like, they're not actually coming to see me, right? Like, no one, I mean, maybe a few of them would have check me out on social media after seeing I've come to their town and started following me and I do notice quite a lot that often people will engage with my content before the show so, you know so they'll watch the my reels pre-show to kind of do a bit of a, a common sense check but generally speaking I'm not playing you know the show is comedy night with Ollie Horn blah 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 it was not though the show is English language comedy night with whoever's in town right and obviously that has to be the case because in order for me to have enough followers in aggregate across the globe for there to be a hundred people in some town in the middle of Austria I'd have to have well over a million followers right like just, just if I played that numbers game for real so that obviously makes sense um, but I, I guess where I'm going with this is the product is not Ollie Horn 
the product is English language comedy night. But that is, but it is still different to you are a comedy club, right? It's it's not like you, you know, and you you don't push your comedy club brand and name. You don't plaster your logo everywhere. You know, you present yourself as Jack. You present the act as as the act for that night. We're in a very funny hybrid space here, aren't we? Where they the thing that the audience is looking for is a good night of English comedy. And in the past, or rather not in the past, in the UK, the the badge of authenticity or the, the credibility, the market signal this was going to be a good night of comedy was the comedy club's brand name, right? And now it's like you as an individual, as a promoter, that's the badge of like, this guy doesn't bring bad acts, right? The, the word would spread in Graz if you had consecutive monthly English language nights which were horseshit. And that's something that we're seeing across the entire creator economy, right? Like Mr. Beast putting his name to a burger is just one example of like the individual kind of supersedes the brand. And obviously for someone like you, you've got this odd thing where you'll go and act as the host for these shows six months a year and then go and do your own show. Can you talk a bit about making that transition from, you know, but basically what you think you're selling the audience and whether the whether you're noticing as you've done this more and more people are excited to come and see you rather than just the English language night so when I first started touring I was ex it was like you're saying I was exclusively selling insert name of city here English comedy night to the point where like I only started putting my name in show titles nine months ago like i when i first started out i was i was adamant that like the second you put your name in a, a facebook event title it makes it uh harder to sell the tickets that is remarkable i mean like i do find that stunning that you know whether it's like your self-confidence whether you think that them typing your name into google wouldn't give you enough social proof but the, the two remarkable things are, one, you're getting an audience with just English language comedy night, no one behind them, no, like, and we can't, it's a mystery who it's going to be. But also, would that work for other things? You know, maybe if you're an up-and-coming jazz band, you would just put on improvised jazz night rather than jazz night with name of jazz band. Maybe you would. Yeah, maybe. I. You said I used to play in bands, and I would be really curious to, like, go back in time and apply what I've learned to comedy to like what I was doing in music and see how much overlap there really is um, no it's not it wasn't a low self esteem thing where I'd keep my name out it was just it was purely to make it punchier like who the fuck is Jack Holmes UK as opposed to well we know what English comedy night is we know what that's gonna be but could you smoke a mirrors yourself to make you seem like a big deal oh my god Jack Holmes is in town that's what I'm trying to do now because after five years of just doing Munich English Comedy Night, I'm I have no following whatsoever, despite being yeah a fair a decent act if nothing else. Yeah. Wait, what, are you gonna edit this out or? Okay. Okay. Well, no. All right. I'm a good act. This is fair. I'm not. I'm definitely not a bad act. Um, and I have no following because I wasn't presenting me. So now it's it's the kind of hybrid thing where like I need to still make this accessible enough, but I can't just rely on my name. But maybe it's a good thing because maybe you weren't good enough five years ago. Prob probably not. I think back to like where I was five years ago, and if I saw me now, I don't think there's a snowball's chance in hell I would have booked me. But, but 
I'm so grateful for making all my mistakes in Japan, where I was yeah. hiding, you know, hiding behind. Oh God, look, I, I, I taught a. Um, I'm gonna make another episode about this, but I talked, I taught an improvisation in comedy workshop, and like now I really know my shit. I'm, I'm sure I know my shit, but what I was, <laughs> what I was doing like six or seven years ago was the exact opposite of what I'm now teaching. Like it is astonishing how, like. I just okay. I've got to just do this in a positive sense. How far I've come. I was so bad, but thought I was good, and now I'm like, I still think I'm bad, but like I'm, I'm, least, I'm bad with a certain skill set. You know, sometimes I'll, sometimes that skill set will misfire, but fuck me, I was all, you know. I'm t- I was telling them some of the things about like you know a basic rule of crowd work. Don't talk at the don't talk at the person. Talk about them. Right, let's just something I've just intuitively learned, right? You don't say, this person's ugly. You say, I'm talking to an ugly person. I mean, you never say that anyway, but that's the example, right? You don't, you, you don't say, um, you know, oh, you work in a train station and then do a Thomas the Tank Engine riff at them. You talk about Thomas the Tank Engine with them as the inspiration. I was doing the exact opposite. First gigs I was hosting, I would basically bully people, but not even in a funny way, just in a way that just was mean-spirited and because I had no idea what I was doing. I just was trying to do this poor replica of whatever I saw on telly. Anyway, I always make this half an hour, and it's now gone to th- uh, 33 minutes. So this is um, this is a bit long. Uh, Jack, thanks for being the inaugural guest on this thing. What um, final thoughts? Are, if someone's listening to this, thinking I've got to start touring Europe, what's the uh, what's the game plan? Make sure your hour is good. Make you know. Make sure you can hold a cold room by yourself for an hour because chances are in in most of these um second and third tier cities you're not going to have an opening act so it's just going to be a cold audience than you so make sure you can handle that make sure you've got a good hour and then i know there's comedian there's pick a city that you're interested in going to and google english comedy in that city see who's setting up shows where like maybe find the local promoter first if you're if you're not confident in selling your own tickets it's and what 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 should that split be talk numbers generally speaking 70 30 you as an act you should be walking away with 70 percent some promoters can offer you uh, offer you something that's like worth more than the 70 percent so some promoters might take a bigger cut or also like if if there's other acts on the bill that 70 that split will inevitably change you might be getting less because there's more acts to be paid but then you're basically you know a touring a touring club act rather than a solo act also i do another thing which like occurred to me tonight i mean i i did 50 minutes tonight but it i did not fly by let me let me t- let me tell you i there was, there's a there's a I was just reviewing the footage oh yeah the context is on this flicks bus i've got probably over 10 grand if you add all up you know the laptop and the cameras and like the everything just I'm just surrounded by gear that I've accumulated over a long time um, to record this show that was absolutely not worth recording but one of the funny things is I finished the show well at least I, I didn't have a watch on me because normally if I do these hours they fly by the, the promoter has to get me off stage I was worried about Jack going oh come on we've got to hurry we're going to miss our bus absolutely not um, the, the, it's me peeking behind the curtain with Jack backstage and me saying have I done enough? Please, can I stop? And then him saying yes. And then me turning to the audience and go, well, that's your lot, folks. Obviously, in a far more professional way. Um, but anyway, one thing that I will say about touring hours around Europe is do not rely on crowd work whatsoever. If your way of getting through a show is to chat and be interactive, these are sometimes people who 
for whatever reason, will not bite. Or if they do bite, it's not on terms that you expect or that you like. And you've got to be prepared to give them really, really engaging material. And also material which is like good enough, good enough stories that if they're not biting in terms of jokes, you've got some rhythm and some hook. And also, if they're not buying stories, you've got to have you've got to have club material and jokes. You've got to basically have a very versatile hour. It's not like Edinburgh where you just fart out the same show every night. Anyway, until next time, take care. Goodbye.